Hello everyone, welcome to episode 62 of ZK Live. Tonight we have Adam from Inspired Ornamentals. They are a crazy talented team of plaster craftsmen. They do all sorts of interesting things. I'm really excited to dig into it. I don't know a ton about what they do, just from what I've seen on Instagram and the, the few times we've talked. But the crazy stuff that they're doing with plaster, uh, I'm going to bring Adam on right now. Hi, Zach. How you doing? Good, how are you? Doing well. Welcome to ZK Live. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. So, Adam, can you just start by telling us what it is that you guys do, and we'll start there. Okay, so um, Inspired Ornamental is, at, at our core, we're a decorative plaster company. All right, so we do uh, historic uh, restorations of theaters and churches. Um, we also do um, high-end decorative plaster crown molding. We do decorative plaster ceilings, ceiling medallions, niches, domes, all that kind of stuff. So that's the core of what we do. We're a decorative plaster company. Um, but we've also expanded into also mainly a mold-making company. So... We do a ton of restaurant decor uh, for all different restaurants all over New England. Um, yeah, we do. Um, we make molds for surgeons. We do medical simulation. Um, we do molds. We do custom plaster busts for different clients. So we we literally do everything. I we don't say no. That's I love it. I I uh, I requested a plaster mold a bust at one point, and my wife vetoed that. And uh, she said that you, she was not a fan of a uh, bust of me being made and put in my house. Understood. Uh, we could have done it, though. I know that. And I was very excited. I thought it would be hilarious. And one day we still might and leave it in the shop uh, as a joke, obviously. I'm not so full of myself as to want a, a bust of myself. Seriously. But <laughs> no offense to anybody that does. So how did you get into all this? Um, so I kind of fell into the industry, um, back in 2007, um, I was a fiber optic tech. So I would, we'd run cable underground, um, and then I'd sit in a nice air conditioned van. I'd splice it all together. It was a great, I thought I'd be there forever. It was a great job. Um, but the economy started going down. Um, my wife and I bought our first ho our house and I was laid off two weeks after we bought the house. Uh, for the fiber optic tech company. So I scrambled and I was doing anything I possibly could just to continue to pay our mortgage. I was delivering food for a friend of mine who owned a sub shop, another buddy owned a farm. So I was bailing hay, plowing a field, whatever I could do. Um, and then a guy that I was friends with worked for another company doing what we do, we're doing decorative plaster. He said, hey, listen, uh, we're hiring. If you if you want, so, are you looking for a job? And I said, yeah, let's. I'll do anything, you know? And we st started there. I worked there for 10 years. I fell in love with it. Um, and in 2014, we said, my, my partner and I, we said, you know what? Let's just start our own company. You know, we know how to do everything. We do it well. Um, and, and that's when Inspired Ornamental was born. And that's where the name came from. We, were, we had a disagreement with the, the person we were working for. And I always say, well, you know what? He inspired me to start my own company. So, and, and here we are going into our seventh year, right? That's amazing. So it was a bad situation that turned out to be 
one of the greatest situations, you know, that ever presented itself. Yeah, and so do you compete against that guy today? Uh, I, I honestly don't even know if he's still in business. Um, so I don't, I don't, which I don't think it's really, we really compete against him anymore. Um, I know he, he really downsized and I, there's not a lot of us, you know? Yeah. That's my next question is, is who is your competition? Uh, we, we kind of compete against, um, companies out of New York for the most part. Um, there's a couple big companies that have been around for hundreds of years. Um, so if, if a, a designer or an architect doesn't know about us, then they'll go to those guys because that's just who they know. You know, so a big thing for, for IO is just trying to get our name out there. There's still a lot of people that don't even know we exist. We have our, like, key clients that we just work for over and over and over again, you know, all on the, the, the high-end builders and remodelers, you know. But, you know, our goal is to, you know, introduce ourselves to grow the company, grow the brand awareness so that they don't go to New York. You know, there's yeah. no sense drives me crazy when people go to New York, they have all this molding made and all the, and I'm like, you know, we're right down the street. We're in Salem. We're 30 minutes north of Boston. We'll do it for a fraction of the price. Yeah. And, and that's why we're hopefully going to be working together on that project coming up. And, you know, the client is, the designer is in New York and, and they're like, yeah, we're going to an art consultant to price this job. So it's, do you right. think you can beat the art consultant from New York City? I was like, I'm pretty sure we can beat an art consultant from New York City. <laughs> no, I some decorative plaster. I think we have a good shot. We'll put it that way. <laughs> I, I just have to think that there's an absurd markup just by say, once you say I'm an art consultant from New York City, I have to think that doubles the price. I would say so. I would say, I mean, I, we have a pretty good feeling that we can, Coming out. If we don't, if we can't, we're doing something wrong. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Um, so, so what is the, the core of this, this plaster that you're doing? Can you, we just, let's start at the beginning. What is the plaster that you're working with generally made of? So we usually, we use a super fine casting plaster. So it's a gypsum. It's just gypsum, but it's, it's refined. It's very, very fine. So when you mix it up, it, it casts beautifully. You don't, you don't get a lot of bug holes, no, no air holes and no air pockets in it. Um, so that's our primary. When we fabricate molding, we cut a profile knife. Everything's done here. So we'll cut the profile knife and it gets screeded on 90 degree granite run benches. With the plastic, there's a chemical set. So as time goes on, it warms up and it starts to harden. And we just screed over and over with that profile knife and it cuts the profile into the piece of molding. So when we, when we run pieces, when we cast, cast medallions, we always use the super fine casting plaster if it's going to be a local project. We do ship medallions all over the country. When we cast the medallions to ship all over the country, we cast them out of hydrocap, which is also gypsum, but it has a little bit of Portland cement in it so it makes it stronger. So they have a better shot at making it to California than if it was just gypsum. Yeah. Um, for all of our um, exterior projects, for like columns and capitals up and down Marlboro Street, you know, uh, we'll use a product called 
Duo Matrix Neo. And that's also a gypsum-based product, but it has a polymer additive to it. And it turns the gypsum character characteristically more like concrete than gypsum. It's water resistant. It's uh, it's a class two has a class two fire rating, so it's flame resistant, flame retardant, won't catch on fire. Um, and it's that's what we use for all the a lot of the lentil replacements and corbels on in the south end on the brownstones um, and columns capitals throughout the city. It's a it's a fascinating thing that you know is it done is this type of work done across the country very often or is it really in new england here where we have this historic type of it's it's more like so we it's more of it's done all over the country but um it's more prominent in historic cities like philadelphia chicago boston you know that's where you find all of the um uh you know the old buildings with the the architecture that was used and it's how they built them back then right they built them beautiful you know you look at a home back then it's like wow that this place is amazing right even the buildings like if you look at all the, the old courthouses it's like wow that's amazing you know um so it's more prominent in those cities but it is it's you know, we have a project in uh houston texas we're doing um right now so it's done all over the place you know and what are the advantages and disadvantages to like millwork like putting your crown up made out of wood which i would imagine 95 percent of the country is putting up crown made of wood yep. you guys make crown molding out of plaster what what are the major differences so some of the benefits of plaster versus millwork is um it doesn't shrink or expand due to a room's humidity Right, so if you go into a house in different seasons, you'll see that fine line across the ceiling. You go, oh yeah, all right, right. Or in the gaps, they'll split. The miters will open up. Plaster is seamless. It doesn't move. It doesn't um, expand. Doesn't contract. Um, that's primarily one of the the major benefits of it. Um, you know, if the building does shift, like in Boston, all the buildings shift all over the place. The molding's been up there for two hundred years. So you'll have a couple of cracks, but the crack goes all through the wall, throughout the ceiling, right? It's not it just in the in the in the moldings, right? So, um, and it's it's fire resistant. You know, that's the other. I think it's a big, you know, God forbid there's ever a fire in a home, but if there is, and there's plaster molding and a plaster ceiling medallion, those are those are items that are not going to catch on fire. If you have millwork, or, you know, God forbid you have the five pond molding in your house. Goodbye. I mean, that stuff is just, it's toxic, right? It's not eco-friendly, where plaster is completely non-toxic and eco-friendly, right? And, Those are and, and you can do, so So do you do, like, what's the longest length of, of, say, a crown? Do you do that on in place, or do you do it in the shop and then bring it and install it? So we, our, our run benches are eight foot six, eight foot six inches. So when we when we run the pieces here in shop, um, they're eight foot six inches. Um, we typically run the parts here on for the straight walls, just because it cuts down on job site congestion, right? Which is always a problem, especially if we're in the south end in a tight building, right? Um, more so now with all the restrictions with our current climate of COVID, right? Having only a certain amount of people on the job site. 
it works out better. We'll run everything here, we'll hang it on the drying rack and just let it cure. So when they're ready for us to install, they'll just give us a call, it's all ready, we throw it in the van, bring it right down to site. Um, if, there's a radi if there's radius walls, sometimes we'll run them in place, but it depends on how good the walls are. If they're in good shape, then we'll run them on site. If they're not great, in great condition, we'll take a rough template of the wall on site, we'll bring, bring it back here, we'll set up a wall here to match the conditions, but it'll be perfect. So when we, when we run our radius pieces here, there, there's no chatter, there's no bumps, um, they're, they're perfect, we'll install those, and then the flat wall guy can come back and kind of screed his wall to the reveal of the molding, right, to hide all the imperfections in the, in the wall. Interesting. How in the world do you install these pieces? Let's just say crown, because that's what I keep thinking of. So you, yep. have a, you have a piece of plastic crown, eight foot long. How much does that weigh? Is that uh, heavy? Well, the, once, it's, once it comes off the run bench, it's very heavy because it's full of water. It's wet. Once it cures, there's no water in it. It's, so if it comes off the bench, it, maybe it's 60, 70 pounds. And then when you're actually bringing it to site, it's probably 25 pounds, 30 pounds. It's considerably okay. long. Yeah. Um, the, what we do is we countersink the molding, pre-drill it, find the studs on the walls, and we mechanically fasten it to the walls. We leave about quarter quarter inch in between the in the links. Install the entire room, and then we go back and we take a grout bag. We mix up plaster, pour it in the grout bag. Right, we're cake decorators. That's what we're referred to. <laughs> plaster in the seams and then we hand tool in all the detail so at the end of it it's completely seamless there's no you can't find a seam in it once it dries and then we so you, you purposely leave a quarter inch gap between the pieces and then you're like filling it in right like, okay right so the more if you got to leave that quarter inch so you can get a lot of material in there and then when you when you hit the plastic goes back it catches the wall Right, so it locks in the wall, and then it locks the two pieces together, right, once the plaster sets. And we just use miter rods and different rasps just to cut the profile into it by hand. Um, so that's the other thing. Like, when we price a, a millwork job versus our job, if it's not a multi-piece molding out of wood, we, I don't stand a chance at price. We're not going to Home Depot and picking up crown molding, you know what I mean, to install in your house. It's very labor intense, you know? So unless it's a large molding, I can't really be competitive price-wise. So our clients recognize what it is, they understand the benefits of it, they understand the value proposition of that going in their house versus a random crown molding, right? We can make it, where we cut our own knives, we can make our profiles time appropriate right so we know what the profile should look like in all of the homes right in, in that neighborhood right you can edit it a little bit refine it down but you, you can't really find that anywhere else you know and and so you, you can recreate stuff like you did a job we did a job for matt uh t on the on the in beacon hill up there trombador yeah yep. and uh you guys just took certain sections of it did you take the existing crown and make a mold we cut it so what we did is we'll, yeah we'll cut a we'll go to the home right we'll we'll cut a sliver in the existing crown molding slip a piece of plastic in there 
we can trace it out, right? Take dimensions of that molding. So you know each profile detail, what the dimension is, right? Come back here, transfer that to another piece of plastic, check it, make sure it's accurate. And then we can just, we'll cut our, we'll cut the knife, the profile knife. We'll set it up on a horse. And then we can screed that over and over. And that was a big job. We did the snail hall on that project. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I think we, I think it was something like 200 linear, 250, 260 linear feet of molding up the compound miters going up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Yep. That's awesome. I, I didn't, I didn't know how it all went together. So it makes a lot of sense that you're, you're talking about putting pieces and then like icing and, and, and floating it and making it all seamless. Yep. That's it. Right. And that's what everybody joked. Oh yeah. The cake decorators are here. Right. <laughs> so, I had a nickel for your time. And would, would you say that when done properly, uh, wood crown versus plaster crown once it's painted you can't really tell the difference uh you you, you can't really tell the difference no yeah. you can't really tell the difference no if it's done properly you know yeah um and you can get more intricate details with the plaster than wood is that fair to say yeah when we do like for coves especially we, we can do really crazy cove moldings right and you know and then the other benefit is being able to match an existing home right so somebody bought purchases a home in boston and they say all right let's change this layout i don't like this floor plan let's move, take this wall down move that wall move that instead of just taking the whole all the molding out you we can just refabricate it and just add it to another section of the room and they they nobody would know the difference right if anybody knows where they are on a project at the end of it that means we didn't do our job right yeah you know it's, it's so cool it, it's it it's should be so a completely, cool. completely seamless blend where they don't recognize the new to the old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's awesome. And, and anyone who has not watched the videos of you guys doing the screening is missing out because that is a satisfying thing to watch. And after this, hopefully we can encourage you to make more of these videos because the people want to see it. That's a goal for, that's a goal for 2021 trying to up the uh, social media and the brand awareness and make some more videos. That is a goal for us. I want to see some time lapse of some icing going in. The, the whole thing, everything you guys do is, is satisfying video heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I saw you guys on Instagram and you, you, were, you were doing, someone was doing a molding, running that, is it like a wood frame that you, that you use to? Yeah. What is it's the a actual, yeah. So it's a, it's a, so the, the knife itself is made out of polystyrene. It's a very dense plastic, right? And it's about an eighth, eighth of an inch thick that we cut the profile in. So that's what we use for the knife. It's then attached to a horse, a wooden horse. And then we set a straight edge on the bench, on the granite run bench. And then it's screened over that bench. So it's the plastic knife with the wooden horse. Um, and it just screened it over and over again when we, when we run the moldings. And you start, you start with just like, how does it start? You just like take some, you mix up a big batch of the stuff, I'm guessing. Yeah. And you just like lay it out and, and go and then add it's, some more and go. It's, it's, that's basically what it is. It's, it's all timing, right? So you, depending on the size of the molding you're going to run, will kind of determine how much you're going to mix up. So you, a lot of the guys, what they'll do is it's a, it's a large molding. 
they'll sift three buckets of plastic, right? They'll let two of them sit, not mixed, just sifted. The first one, they mix it up. Uh, it's applied. It comes out, you know, you pour it onto the bench as almost a liquid. But as a couple minutes go by, it starts setting it up. Um, all the parts are also reinforced. So you'll put down a layer of plaster first. You pass the horse. So it kind of cuts it, cuts the, the rough profile of the molding. Um, so you know where it's going to sit. And then we add the fiberglass to that area. So then the, and then another layer of plaster goes on. So the, the moldings are backed with fiberglass or sisal. We use sisal a lot. Sisal, you kind of, if you see it on the, one of our job sites, it, it looks like, um, like a like blonde hair, right? But what it is, it's actually the leftover waste of the agave plant. So when they make tequila, they throw away the husk of the agave plant. And then they, they refine that and process that. And then, so we use that as our reinforcement. It's a great material. Now, has, is that what they've always done in plaster for, you know, all of Different, time? Yeah, so our industry really hasn't changed, right? We, it's kind of done the same way it's been done for hundreds of years, right? You cut a profile knife, you run it. Uh, the mold making is considerably different than what that used to be. Um, but as far as running the parts and installing them, I mean, we have, we have hand tools now that are, you know, drills that are mechanical instead of fastening it with nails or hand fastening it. But, but the way we create it and, and run it, it's the same way that it's been done forever. It's they, cool. They'd use burlap or anything they could find back in the day, really, to reinforce the pieces. The size because it doesn't bleed through. So if you use burlap, a lot of the times the, the moldings after the cure, they brown and they get yellow, they get this yellowish color to them. With the sisal, it doesn't, if it's done correctly, it won't bleed through. They'll, the pieces will remain white. That, how often do your plaster moldings not get coated then? They always do. They, they always, always get, get painted. Okay. You know, okay. historically, this is just a fun fact. Historically, to be accurate, they should be painted with a matte or flat paint, not high gloss, cherry red. <laughs> high glossy anything right so to be historically accurate because it's a hand-done product right so there there are it's it's an imperfect as perfect as you can make it it's still slightly imperfect so having a matte or flat finish allows it to not be apparent that it's there when but we i mean we have designers and you know architects and everybody else specking all sorts of really funky paints so it is what it is and that's where we come in and uh <laughs> We make it look good. What did you do at that on that project we worked together? Was that that was we high did, gloss? We right? did a lot of high gloss, a lot of black gloss. The handrail all the way up. We did two full rooms of black gloss, and we did a kitchen island. Yeah, uh, that was an intense one. Was that your first time painting plaster moldings? New ones, like repaired ones, for sure. Yeah. Um, and no I, different in prep work between wood or plaster no we paint a lot of plaster walls so you know it's kind of it's all the same right um but i just it's so interesting to me to see the way you can just create this molding from nothing like watching that liquid go on in this in this in the shaping of it and over and over and over and then you end up with this piece of molding 
that 99% of the population thinks the only way you get that is going to Home Depot and getting a piece of wood. Right. You know, and so to, to think that you could take a liquid plaster and turn it into a crown molding, you know, is very impressive. And, and it's fascinated me. And that's why I wanted to have you on to talk about it because, you know, I, I love quality craftsmanship, doing things at a high level. Obviously, we've said it's not necessarily cost effective. People don't hire you because it's cheaper than getting wood. Is that fair to say? Correct. Yeah, correct. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's the same thing with my business. Like we're not hired because it's cheaper, but we're hired because we offer, we add value in other ways. Yep. That's correct. Um, yep. How long has this practice been being done? Someone asked, where is this done first? Like I just picture this as being done in like, like Greece in like, no, Europe, 2080 ABC yeah. or something. But no, no. do you know much about the history of this type of work? Yeah, a little bit. I, I know, you know, like I said, like everything we do, it, basically everything here was brought here by from Europe, right? So that's where all of the knowledge kind of came to the States from, right? It was all done in Europe, Ireland, Europe, um, England. Um, and when everybody came over here, that's kind of when the trade migrated over here, right? It didn't obviously exist prior to that, right? Um, but, you know, everything we do, carving and sculpture and all that stuff, that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Egypt, you go to Greece, all the history, you know, all of those, all of the sphinxes and everything, that was all hand done, right? Yeah. So. So, so you do a lot of these moldings. Let, what about the... Um, the restoration work, the, like that's kind of, I mean, that's replacement, but you also do like crazy restoration stuff, right? Yeah. We just, we, this past year, we just finished up the second phase over at St. Paul parish in Cambridge, mass. Um, we did the Ascension. So behind the altar of actually Jesus rising, right? That's called the Ascension. That's in the, the back of the church. Right. So, it was it wasn't structurally sound it was very old it was dilapidated there was water intrusion um and it was basically falling apart so what we did is we basically did a site survey the staging was erected we did a site survey we found out which areas of the wall were compromised um and we made a game plan so we made i think we made five large molds on site on the stage so what we did is we cleaned the existing ascension in the areas that were going to fail that were failing um we sealed it using shellac um and then we created brush on molds of we did one of the angels we did a couple of the disciples um so we did a when you do a brush on mold we use a platinum silicone and it's done in three layers. Each layer should be about three-eighths thick. Um, one bonds to the other and so on. Um, once that's cure, it's clean. The, the back of the rubber is cleaned. And then we make a support shell for it. So it, it'll hold, it'll support the rubber mold once we peel it off the existing detail, right? So once the plaster is cure for the support shell, that comes off, it's laid down on the staging, we peel off the rubber mold, we can then cast a detail into that and it'll match, it'll capture all the details that are existing, right? So we always like to 
make a cast first and pop it and check it, make sure that it's it's perfect before we go demo the failing area, right? So, <laughs> right, because then you're just like, oh, it shit. It makes sense. It makes right? sense. There's no going back. No. So we would just, we went in and we made molds of a ton of different things. There was, there was a big coffered ceiling at the top um, with rosettes that were loose, and they were just basically time bombs ready to let go and, and fall 80 feet to the altar. So we checked those. We secured everything. Uh, we, a lot of reframing takes place above the ceiling and on, behind the, the existing ascension um, just to make sure everything's secure and structurally sound. Um, we cast plaster panels for the flat wall area, secured those, and just and then blended everything in together. So we've, been at the church, we've got a couple different phases of that church, and there's still one more phase to go, which is going to be the biggest and the, the longest phase. So I don't know if we're doing it next year or the year after. but So in order to make a, a, a mold, you have to have a sealed surface so that when you put your stuff on there, it doesn't, it'll let go later. So you, you usually use shellac? We usually, we usually typically use shellac to seal the area. Um, the biggest problem is sulfur. If there's any sulfur present, the rubber will not cure. It just won't cure. It's like the number one thing in mold making. If you don't seal, and even if this, you got to seal it at least three times just to make sure that there's no sulfur, right? If, if there is any sulfur, that whole area will still stay gooey, stay sticky. It just will not cure. So to make sure, and who knows, right? And a lot of the times back then, there was the calcimite paint, right, which just turns to mush also, right? So you got to seal that, make sure that's sealed to protect against that. It's basically a fail-safe. If you do that first and you mix your rubber correctly and you apply it in a tiny manner, you should be good. You should have no issues. And is all of this brushed or you spray this, these things on? It's all brushed. So when we do it on site, it's, we use a, just literally chip brushes. So we probably go through 2,000 two-inch chip brushes, five, two to 5,000 a year doing brush on mold. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and what's the rubber? So the first coat that goes on, what's it made out of again? It's, a, it's silicone. But it's a platinum-based silicone, so it's a it's a high-end silicone rubber. Um, and, and is it is it solvent-based then? What what is it? What do you mix that with? How does that come? In, it comes in a bucket actually, ready to use. It's a two-part. the The type that we use is actually a two-part um, mix, so it's one-to-one ratio for that product. Um, yep, that's it. It's just one-to-one. It's a platinum base. It's A to B. Um, and you can mix it in large batches, and you have about, for the rebound, you have about half an hour or so before it, for a pot life on that. Half an hour to 40 minutes of work. Have you ever work. tried to spray it? Um, we, we had a project. We were going to buy, we were going to get the spray gun for it. Um, but back then, I didn't have a compressor that would hold enough pressure to actually spray it on. So we never did, right? So we haven't actually done it. I'd be interested to see that. That'd be fun. Yeah. So, but what about, do you get into issues where if things go inside of things, like if it curls, how do you mold something and then if it, it won't come off then? Like the mold is then now stuck. Well, it's not, we use, 
So there's different durometers of rubber. So the rubber that we use for the brush on that has, if there's an, a model that has severe undercuts, we'll use a, it'll have a 25. So it'll be rebound 25. So it's a very flexible rubber. And where it's a brush on, we can actually peel that rubber off and out from underneath the areas. I see. I see. So it's not a rigid thing you need to get off. You can Very soft. So the rigid part is the shell, and that's what actually supports the flimsy rubber. Okay. It, it lets it hold, hold its form, you know? That's fascinating. Um, I'm gonna, I need to see this in real life. So essentially, there's nothing you can't get a mold of. Like Correct. You go to any project, whatever it is, and you can get the mold of it. Once you have the mold of it in the silicone, you can then make a mold from that to make another mold. Like, yeah. So what we do a lot of times, if there's, um, if there's, it depends on what the client wants, right? What their, um, what their, what their ten is, right? So a lot of the times, my ten is different than their ten, right? Yeah. So we'll make. They'll say, "All right, we want to reproduce this corbel in this house," and it's like, "Okay." Um, so that corbel has thirty layers of paint on it, right? And you've lost all the definition. Do you want us to make a mold of that and capture the detail in that, and then cast that, and then you'll have one that looks like that, or do we want to go for a ten, take it back here, strip the paint, restore it? Fix any areas that you can that are falling apart or just due to age, dilapidated. Then you can make a mold, right? So again, price doesn't always work out. We don't that doesn't always fit into the budget. A lot of the time, it's like, yeah, just re reproduce that one with the yeah. thirty lays, you know. Yeah. But you know, and 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 also, when we do like, um, if there's existing crown molding, say in the south end, right? And there's an egg and a dart, egg and dart detail in the existing molding. If we if we take that piece of egg and dart, we bring it back here and we do a full restoration on that and get all that definition back in there, and then we go back to site with the molding, put it up, and that new egg and dart in there, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So we'll make a mold of what the existing egg and dart looks like, and then we'll install that in the crown, cast those pieces, and then install that in the crown molding. And then that way, it looks like it's always been there, right? So there's a lot of conversation that has to happen with the client about expectations with this type of stuff then, right? Correct. With the client, with the designer, um, with the architect, there's, you know, because it can go, uh, you know, that's the most important thing when we're pricing out these projects, trying to figure out what everybody's expectation is. Right. You go into a room and the guy says, all right, well, we just want to restore, cut out these big cracks. It's like, okay, you just want the big cracks done? Yeah, okay. Okay, so you price it to cut out the big cracks. You do all the big cracks. You do everything else. Well, what about that section there? That kind of doesn't look great. Okay, we could do that, but we wanted to do big cracks, right? And then it turns into a full room restoration after that. And the other thing is, and people hate when I say this, if you like the style of molding you have, but you don't like the shape it's in, it's a lot cheaper to fabricate new match existing stuff and put it in than it is to restore that room the way it looks. Yep. Right? It's very labor intensive. It's still not going to be a 10 at the end of the day. Right? But if we cut the profile knife to match all the existing stuff and it's installed, now, now the guys are just filling in the seams. Right? 
It's much quicker on site and it looks better. It's a better end result. But, and that's where I found the question is, do you, what, does the client care what it looks like or do they want to know that what's there is old? And sometimes it's, they just want to know it's that different. Is old. That's it. Yep. It's completely, it's every project is different, right? So we just have to be a chameleon and adapt to whatever the expectations are, you know? Yep. So you never, you never know. That's crazy. So medallions, tell me about medallions a little bit. So we have, um, we have over 60 medallions in our catalog, right? Plaster medallions. And what, what I do, what I, is I, we're always in Boston, right? So I'm always walking around going to different projects. And if I see a project that's being demoed, I'll just walk in and I'll look up. And if I find a medallion and they're going to throw it away, I just, I ask them, hey, can I have that medallion? You know, and, and half the time they go, yeah, that's fine. We're going to just throw it away. I'll take it. We'll bring it back here. We'll restore it. We'll make molds. And then I just add it to the catalog. But some of our best-selling flagship medallions are medallions I've recovered that would have been gone in the trash and lost to history. You know, these are pieces that have been in Boston for, you know, hundreds of years. But they don't look great. Maybe they don't, maybe people don't know how to make them look good again. During demo, they say, oh, you know what, let's just get rid of it. You know, we'll find, we'll go to Home Depot and buy a five-pawn medallion afterwards. Right? Don't ever do that. Zach, I never want to see that on your projects. You will never see that. <laughs> right? um, so, so the good the medallions, they come in variety of dimensions. Some are single-piece medallions. Um, we have a lot of multi-piece medallions with a lot of depth, with great undercuts, lots of detail. They're fascinating. Um, again, those medallions are made out of plaster, so they, they, don't, they won't burn if there's ever a fire. Um, we did hear we were doing a project up in Newmarket at a church years ago, and the fire chief stopped into the church while we were there, and he, was, he wanted to see what we were using for product, make sure it was fire-resistant. And he told us a terrible story about uh, uh, there was a urethane medallion on the ceiling, and there was a bad house fire, and a woman was trying to escape the fire, and the thing melted and fell on her while she was running out. And she actually passed away. She actually came to her injuries um, because of the, that medallion. It burned her so bad, she, she died. Um, so Plaster he was, medallions save lives, folks. That's really, you know what I mean? That's really, that's really it. We do our pods every day, right? Hey, well, you got to do your part. Right? So we have, a, safe. We, have, we have 60 medallions. Um, we're always trying to expand on medallions and make kind of come up with a different line of medallions that don't exist right um there's a company out of chicago and out of new york and they have we all kind of have different medallions you know we, we there's a couple that we all have but for the most part it's they're pretty pretty uh pretty different a couple a year ago we came out with a line of coastal living ceiling medallions so they're plaster medallions but they incorporate um sand dollars and starfish and scallops different types of shelves in the medallion because so many of our clients live on the coast right on martha's vineyard on nantucket and they they want they want a piece of decor like that 
but they want it to fit into their home, their beach home. Yeah. Um, so we're just always trying to, we're trying to figure out where the void is in the design market and how we can fill that void with a product that doesn't exist yet, right? It's awesome. So those original medallions from that you're casting that are up, those were all just made by an artisan by hand. Correct. Yep. And and when they did that, are they doing that where they're carving the mold and then they're casting it? Or are so they casting something and, and carving the cast? So there's a couple different ways that they do it. You can either carve out a clay and then create mold, a mold from that. That's that's the way I like to do it, right? So you, we could we can spin, cut a profile knife for a medallion. We can spin, set up a jig and spin a medallion out of plaster, and then we can we can actually carve the detail on the medallion in quadrants, make a mold of that, and then cast four sections out of plaster. Put those all together, point it in. And then we can make a mold and a shell of that. So then when we cast that piece, it has all that detail in it. Interesting. So it's a, it's a, it's a long process to get going to, to create it. But once it's done, it's done. And it's in your, your inventory forever. It's crazy. Right? And it's crazy that you came from fiber optic cables to this. Like you didn't go to art school and no. do sculpting as your career and get into this. Do a, do a lot of your guys have like art backgrounds and sculpting backgrounds or no? No, not really. <laughs> it seems like all the sculptors could get jobs with you. Basically, I mean, when, when we look to hire somebody, right, we're looking for somebody that has good character and is teachable, right? Yeah. That's it. Can you come to work on time? Can you stay off your phone? Yeah. You know? Will you put in the extra hours when I ask you to put in extra hours? Do you care? Right. Do, you do you care, care about this? Right. The good thing about, you know, what we do, it's like, it's a dying trade, right? So when we get these young kids, I'm not going to live forever, right? But this company hopefully will. So you could take the company over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do, you, do you think about the future? You know, is it just not a paycheck? You know, we, I, we love teaching these kids to do stuff right so that they can then carry on this the skilled trade yeah you know, it's, it's amazing like what you guys are doing like the to be in a dying trade like this and that yeah like there, people don't go to trade school and learn how to do this stuff right right yep. if you don't work for a company like you you'll never learn how to do this right correct correct you know what does your team look like what so we have a we have a team of eight people, right? Um, we myself and my my business partner Kevin. Um, Kevin has been in the he worked at the previous company with my with myself. Um, so it's him and I. It's um, our we have uh, Jill. Jill's a member of our team. She's one of the pointers on site. Um, she is. Um, she does the installs. She does all the pointing. She also worked at the other company previously. She came with us. Um, we have another gentleman, uh, Abdul, who is Moroccan. He's from Morocco. And he's actually the guy, when I worked for the other company, he's the guy that kind of taught me everything, right? 
his English isn't great. So my old employer said, all right, you go with him. Just do whatever he tells you to do, but you communicate with all the guys on site. Because yep. he can't, right? So he kind of taught me everything I, I know about plaster, about pointing and running pieces. Um, Brian came from um, Pepsi. He was with Pepsi forever. Um, wanted just a change. Came aboard with us. Jared, a uh, young guy, learning a lot of stuff, taking a lot of initiative. Worked a couple different sales jobs. Kind of looked for something else. Came aboard. Um, and we have Danny. Danny's a sculptor. He is a sculptor at heart. Loves movie props. He actually was a mask maker for a long time. Made a lot of um, latex masks. Um, I hope I'm so not when you saw that time. resume come across your desk, you must have been like, "Holy crap! Where this? Let's so go." Danny, Danny um, he he found us right. So we we had just moved. So we started the company in my garage, right? So shout out to my bride Lauren, who's really the backbone of this entire company by raising our three children. You know, and when we started, she was a single mother for the longest time. I would just work crazy hours, right? And having it was a blessing and a curse having your shop at your house, right? So it's like, all right, go inside, have dinner, put everybody to bed, and all right, I'm gonna go back out there and finish doing what I gotta do, right? So when we moved to our, our second facility, we went from you know 200 to 300 square feet, which is you know just a cramped space, hellish to work in, to about 1800 square feet. We were moving into that building. And Danny just showed up. He just came in with a resume and said, I want a, I want a job. I, I said, well, we're not even set up. He's like, I don't care. Like, whatever. I, this is what I want to do. You know, I, I hate everything else I've ever done. You know, can I be a sculptor? I said, yeah. Right. So he came aboard, you know. And is he the one who sculpted these busts? He sculpted all the busts. Yep. He does all the busts. He does a lot of um, pieces for capitals and whatnot. Um, we are he does some med, med, he does all the casting for the medical simulation stuff so the shop is the studio is crazy right now so then we had to move from that within a year and a half we had to move from that studio to this other studio right down the street because we ran out of room we had no room so we actually built a mezzanine in the old studio just to get another 500 square feet to try to stay there yep. and it, it just didn't work i said all right we gotta get out of here so we found a 6,000 square foot studio right down the street. So that's where we are now. We have 6,000 square feet. There's plenty of office space. There's plenty of studio space. We have a warehouse. It's fantastic, you know? It's crazy. Yep. So you're t let's talk about these busts because we got to get that out of the way. Where did that come from and who's, who's commissioning these busts? Um, they, we, so we're just, we were just trying again, just trying to fill. I, still, I think I'm probably going to end up with one just for the record. I think you should. I think, you know, I, I would never bring anything like that home. Cause I know it'd end up on the floor. That's just, it won't, I won't bring it home. I'll leave it at my shop and it will be ironic. But <laughs> we, uh, so we get requests for, let me just show you where I got the camera. I can, so can you see like this, like Venus here? Yeah. So we're doing, we did all sorts of like, let me just take you on a little trip over here. 
all sorts of decorative plaster busts. And we tried to do like really unique finishes on them, you know? So we have a whole line of different, you know, different types of busts just to try to add something to add something that isn't around, right? So kind of fill in, get into that modern decor, add like a modern flair to just a classic style. Yeah. Um, and, and they've done very well. They've done incredibly well, you know. Um, we were commissioned to do these really far out busts for a restaurant in Boston called Yvonne's. It's in downtown Crossing. And they have like, it's almost like, in the lower level, it's like a speakeasy type. It's like a hidden bar type of thing. There's like a there's a library upstairs in one of the rooms at the restaurant. You go downstairs, it's, it's all black lit paint on the walls, and you go down into the bottom. And we did the, they have this crazy bar front that we did, and we actually made 300 cast skulls for the bar front, right? And they're cast out of liquid plastic, right? So they're they're very durable. They're very very strong. And downstairs, he had us do these three crazy busts. And one is the sculpture of David, right? But the head is split open in half. And there's actually a skull that sits in the middle of the head, right? <laughs> Another one, there's a woman who has a snake coming all around her. It's going in her mouth, coming out of her ear, in one eye, out the other eye. So they're just really, really far out bus for that that one restaurant downstairs but the team loves these projects right they like get so excited when we have these fire out restaurant projects because right? it's just kind of different right yeah. like we all love doing the architectural details and the egg and dad and the rosettes and brackets and corbels but when you get to start making like crazy skull ceilings and bars and really unique stuff like that they get pretty hyped up for that yeah, there's a lot to be said. I've experienced it. just even with the architectural stuff. It allows. I'm lucky that we get to work on awesome projects because it it keeps great people around. You know, when we get to do these types of projects that you're proud to say I did this, and you didn't just slap paint on a wall for someone who didn't even care and they just want a different color and like get out of my house. Right. Like when you get to actually like put your heart and soul into something. And step back and be like, I did that. That is a great. It's I'm so lucky to be where I am and, and have the clients and be in the market that we are because it helps. We don't have to work as hard to attract and retain top talent as if I was doing, you know, rental repaints. I'd have to do a lot more or be right. it'd be a lot different, I guess. You know, it's all relative, but um, you know, also I would be bored to death if I was doing that. And, no, it's fun. It's it's fun sitting down with you know these these um, designers and they and they have these visions, right? You know, and I I, I feel phone calls when when these guys were overseas and they a lot of the restaurants we do they're they're more like destinations. They're not really restaurants, right? They're trying to make a whole feel. They want a whole like attraction. Like you're going to go there for more than the amazing food. You're gonna go there and be part of an experience, right? So they they go all over the all over the world and they and they get these you know inspirations from where they are, right? From different countries that they want to 
um, kind of replicate in Boston, in and around Boston, right? So I get phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, here's what I want to do over here, kid, right? It's like, all right, so you get the notebook on the bedstand and you're just jotting down ideas and you're like, all right, so I don't forget this when I wake up in the morning, you know? <laughs> and just sitting down and collaborating with these awesome people, trying to make their ideas and visions come to life. And then at the end, it's like, oh, my God, this, you know, half the time I didn't know it was going to come out as amazing as it was. You know, they're telling you their ideas, and you're like, okay, you know, maybe sure. we, you know, one of the one of the projects we did for a restaurant is they wanted a, a boiler door to hang behind the bar. So we wanted a five-foot diameter boiler door, right? But they wanted it lightweight, only weigh like 40 pounds, right, to hang up. And we just worked together and we designed a door and it had the, the name of the, the, the restaurant in it. Um, you know, the day it was founded, all that stuff, a couple of details on it, sculpted the, the hinges, um, the handles. Um, and then we made a giant mold. We cast it out of resin, a thin coat of resin, and then backfilled that with foam. And the, 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 it only weighed about 40 pounds. So That's amazing. So you have to be pretty, well, maybe not up on it. Does it change much? But you you guys are coatings experts or, or materials experts. You have to you have to source quality ingredients. You have to mix them at the right ratios. You have to know your stuff. Is that, that was stuff you learned during the 10 years working? It's something you, I, I'm imagining you continue to learn to this day. What yeah, does that look like? So our... You know, we use a company called Smooth On. They're our material distributor, right? They're down in Pennsylvania. Um, and through our experience, there's, you know, there's other companies out there that make different products. But I know that if I use the Smooth On product, I'm not going to have any issues. They're not the cheapest, but it's a lot cheaper to do it once, right? Then use a shitty material and have it fail and then have to start all over again, right? So they're, they, what they do is pretty amazing. They're, they have a whole lab down there where they're constantly tweaking their recipes and evolving, uh, changing things. Um, and they'll also make custom recipes for us. So, for example, we, um, we needed a lightweight vertical concrete mix, right? And the one that they had, Smooth on Head, had uh, a... Um, a latex additive in it, right? That you had to add to the concrete. The only problem with that is if you ship it and the latex freezes, it's trash. So we had them engineer a dry latex that was just added into the bag of concrete. So it had the fiber, it had the latex and all the concrete in one bag. So there's, there was just you did six and a half pounds of water to a 50 pound bag of concrete to get the, the vertical mix. And you can trowel it up walls. You can, you can actually have it. Um, it'll actually pack out about four inches thick off the wall vertically and you can carve it. It's pretty amazing stuff, but they'll work with you and develop whatever. If you need something, they'll just make it for you. There's a cost. There's a cost associated with it. Um, but that's, it's part of business though, right? Yeah. You want, you want the best product. So you spend the money, you know? Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. And, and again, when clients are coming to you with like creative outside the box wants and desires, there's a, the, 
the caveat is, all right, well, you have to, there's got to be some flexibility of budget here. Right. right. You, so you can't like, have everything awesome and cool and unique and be really cheap too. Right. Like in another thing SmoothOn will do is over on um, Beacon Hill, we are doing an exterior fireplace for, it's one of Matt Tromado's projects also. And it's a brick fireplace, but there's different um, concrete elements like the hearth, um, the surround, and they wanted it to look like brownstone. So SmoothOn can match, I think, 4,200 Benjamin Moore colors. So if you just take a color swatch, you, the client will pick a color swatch, you can send that to them, and they will create that color for you in their lab and give you the ratio you need to mix in with the concrete to get that color. I love it. So, so it takes away all the headache on our end. Yeah, which is a beautiful thing. It's like the paint store mixes my paint for me. I don't have to custom mix the paint. It's, it's quite Correct. nice. Right. Um, so you said you were measuring the water by pounds. Is uh, When you are mixing these products, are you using digital scales to be very precise? Do Is there some leeway with that? Is it by texture? How do you mix this stuff? So plaster is done by appearance, right? It's it's basically two to one, three to one, and when we you know when when somebody's starting and they're new, what we tell them is you got to have when you you add your water right, and then you add the plaster on top of that, you sift it in slowly. When your when the top of your bucket looks like there's little islands in an ocean, then that's what that's what it should look like. You should have little islands in that in the top of it, you know. Um, and that and so that's how you do it with plastic. That's the best way to do it to get the best consistency, and it should be like sour cream, you know, not as thick maybe a little bit less thick maybe like a yogurt or runny you know. Um, but with the concrete, certain products do have to be you have to make sure that they are weighed appropriately, or they're not going to cure, you know. Or if you add too much water to that vertical mix, it becomes like water. You can't you can't put it on you can put it on the wall, but you can't add any more to it. It's just going to fall off, right? So that's important that that weight ratio has to be perfect. If you want, to, I mean, four inches. Think about four inches off the wall vertically. It's insane, right? If that if your ratio is right, then you're good to go. If it's not, you're screwed. You're screwed. You know. So different products have different uh, tolerances. So now I would imagine. It sounds like in the similar boat that I am now, where you, like you start to become a re. It's so cool. I'm just starting to finally get there, where you start to get to be a resource for the creatives, where someone can come to you and go, "I have this like general idea. How do we make it happen?" And I'm a big fan of that because there's not the competition goes away. The profitability is much better. When you're talking about, I'm not competing with everyone as a commodity. You came to me, you want this thing. The price should kind of be a consequence here. You know, I'm not going to gouge anybody, but, you know, have you found that this type of stuff, you can keep pretty good margins doing this because it's so niche? I think we're, we're able to, you know, keep our margins good because of the quality that we provide, right? So, and we joke saying that we're the PAC division of construction. Do you know what that stands for? No. 
professional ass covers division, right? <laughs> so, and what I, what I mean by that is if there's a problem, right? We've been on so many job sites where there's a problem that arises, sometimes to nobody's fault, just a, a flaw in something. They come to us and they go, how, how can we fix this? What can we do? What's, you know, what's the, what's the fix? What's the solution? And that's what we do. We just try to come up with solutions to help all our trade partners, right? Because if they're successful, then we're successful, right? Whole idea is just for us has been just build solid relationships. Always be there for your trade partner, no matter when, what time that phone rings, try to answer it within 24 hours, try to, you know, get back to them and solve problems. One, one project we're on, the the plat the flat wall plasterer wasn't wasn't the best right but he's what fit that budget they brought him on they had ordered all these light ordered all of these light fixtures from overseas with three inch canopies or three three and a half inch canopies so they just barely fit the light boxes right and the the plaster that was going to the light box I don't know if he assumed there would be larger canopies to cover the ceiling area so they were just they looked like trash they were holes you could see everything so what we did is we sat down with the contractor and we, we developed these small little medallions we spun up these tiny little four and a half inch medallions so that we would put them in every wherever there was a light box in the ceiling we put those in there so we made it look intentional instead of just covering up this one that's wrong and that one over there that's wrong put them everywhere so they look intentional right yeah and then, and then it saves everybody you know it's a quick it's a quick thing to, to come up with a solution to it's not very expensive you know but it solves the problem you know so that's what yeah. we, we're always trying to come up with an idea or a solution to um a problem and trying to figure out how can we do it differently how can we do it better try to do it more cost effective um so that we fit because we don't fit into everybody's budget right we just don't fit into the budgets a lot of the times and you know, once once the term VE comes out, that's when I know we're gone, right? Yeah. We're gonna have to value. You know, we expect uh, two hundred thousand dollars of luxury high end plaster crown molding, but we had to value engineer it, so there's no molding now, so you're gone. So, right? Yeah. I uh, the first time we we talked about doing a project together, and I, I was looking at that house, and I sent you those pictures, and. Uh, I'm like, yeah, you want to come down to Providence and take a look at this project, this unique thing. They want to restore this crazy molding that's all deteriorated. And you're like, yeah, man, send me pictures. I'll give you a rough budget. If they say yes, I'll come down. And I was like, oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably kind of expensive. But And then you sent me the proposal, and I was like, I understand why you did that. Because it's not an inexpensive thing to do. And if you're running around just throwing prices at people and spending all that time, you know, once someone's done it, they probably know what to expect. But the first time around, they're like, Oh yeah, just let's have some plaster repaired. And yep. it's not as simple as a couple hundred bucks or even a couple thousand dollars. Right. Um, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people really understand the time that goes into it. Right. Like that project you're talking about, there was a decorative ceiling. There was an astrical with a, a, a plaster enrichment in the corner of the ceiling. There was a multi-piece molding. There was a picture rail. I think there was five or six different enrichments. Then there was the soffit with all that. So what we would literally need to make molds of all of those different items and then put it all back together. Yeah. 
So it's very labor intensive, right? Yeah. To store it, to cut the knives, to run it, to fabricate it. Um, and, and I just think, I, I don't think people really understand what goes into it, right? You're not just running to Home Depot and picking up or, or the local lumber store and picking up some molding or whatnot and just throwing it up. It's just not, it's apples to oranges, right? Yeah, and would you say it's 50-50, the, the mold making and preparation versus the producing of the actual piece? What is the ratio of time spent, like, when you're doing the restoration stuff? In, like, in that case, where you have this stuff, it's deteriorated, you want to try to replicate it. Are you spending 70% of the time getting to the point where you can cast it and put it back up? How does that look? Well, if there's like, if there's, you know, capitals, corbels, if there's a lot of enrichments in the molding and we're going to restore each piece by hand um, and then make molds and then cast those pieces out afterwards, I would say in the shop, it's probably 60% of the time is in the shop versus the 40% on site for the most part. You know, and every project is different, but we allow when we, you know, when we do these projects, we, you know, we were building the schedules. It's important that they understand, you know, we need two months to get ready for the install, right? Because a lot of times we'll get calls and say, oh, yeah, we need, you know, molding over here. It's got, you know, this is the, these are the pictures. And so, all right, well, we have about two months worth of prep work. And they're like, well, we need you on site, like, in two weeks. So, okay, well, <laughs> not, so just to show people, this is kind of messed up, but. This is yeah. the thing that we're talking about, right? So you had that thing to recreate because all of this is water damaged and destroyed. But that was... You have all efflorescence all over there, right? And that's what happens when you have water intrusion, right? The plaster, it's it has all these salts and minerals that are dormant, right? And once the plaster it's hit with water, all of those salts and minerals start to get activated again, and it just turns to powder. Yeah, so if, if you we went up there and, and tried to touch that stuff, it would all deteriorate. Yeah. And luckily, on that project, if we end up doing it, there's three-quarters of the room that's intact. So you, wouldn't, you would go and, and you would do your molds from that type of stuff. Yeah, we'd make molds off the good things in the room, the good areas. And then we can cast match existing ones and replace it in that area right there. Um, and then would you say, so what about if, if say, um, sorry, I'm just going to put back up the, uh, so if say there wasn't a, an intact section, right. And it's all to start, it's deteriorated. Can yeah. you like put some sort of like hardener thing on there to like make it not deteriorate so that you could cast that? Like when things are starting to really fall apart. No, they're, they're done. They're, so behind that molding, it's all, it, so a lot of that molding, the, the old moldings will run in place on lath walls, right? So the plaster keys into the lath, right? Once that water comes down and, and wrecks in all that plaster kind of falls apart, starts to deteriorate, those keys break. So the molding is now not structurally sound anymore. At yeah. some point, it is going to just collapse to the ground, right? So whenever you have the efflorescence like that, it's, it's really, there's really no coming back for it. They, a couple of paint companies make 
something that you can paint over it to stop the spread of it. But it doesn't address actually the bigger problem, which is behind it, right? Yeah. It's it's rotted. It's it's toast, right? Wherever you see water damage, it, the good rule of thumb, it's probably three or four feet away from that that you can see that has to come out because that molding in the back is probably also deteriorated. Yep. It's crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy. It, and it's so cool to think they were building stuff like this all the time. That, that picture, like when I'm, you go in that room, like we're so lucky to get to walk into rooms like that. Like that's 12 feet up on the ceiling. There's more detail in that ceiling than I can imagine. And that project, it's hard to see in those pictures, but there's like nine different colors. And they wanted us to re, they wanted a price to repaint that room. <laughs> I was like, man, I would say you're $40,000 plus to paint this room, but I'm not putting a hard number on it. Because I'm going to be here for so long by hand painting the flower petal red oh, yeah. across all of this thing. And yep. so that leads me to my next question. When you do, say, the medallions, like how often are the medallions one color? So then the room next to that room in that house had all like it had like two colors in the whole room. And it was so much more boring to look up and had... And it's similar plaster detail, but it had been clearly had been painted and they didn't want to spend the money to paint it with really decoratively. So they just had these two blah colors up there and all yep. of that character in the details was essentially gone away. Even though you could see it, it wasn't highlighted the way that other room, which has nine different colors on the ceiling, it highlights all those details. How often do you see the, the medallions now getting many coats, many colors to highlight, or are you seeing mostly a uniform? Yeah, we don't see that too often. Um, no, typically they're just, they're white or they're whatever the shade of the ceiling is, <clears throat> or, or off one shade, just go, it kind of stands out a little bit. But typically not, you know, not, I haven't seen that in a long time, actually. You know? Too bad, because... Having walked from one room to the next, it is so impressive to walk into a room that has nine different colors on those type of details where the flowers mm -hmm. are this color and the petals are this color and the this and the this. And when it all comes together, you're like, I can't believe I'm looking at this. And you're right. in the other room. And I mean, the detail is just like, it's just such a letdown. Yep. It just, you go from a room with the wow factor, right? And then you go in the other room and you go, all right. Yeah, it's cool. But yeah. the other one is like, I'm in a a royal palace right now. I can't believe I'm in this room. Yeah. But when you go to quote a paint job, it starts to make a lot more sense. You know, 10 right? times. Yep, 100%. And that's, that's the thing, right? It doesn't always fit. Like that number doesn't fit into that budget. So they'll pick a formal dining room, right? Or something like that on the first floor and do that one wow room and then the family room or whatnot they're just like well we're just hanging out we don't really need to impress anybody right let's just do the basic colors yeah i definitely yeah. i definitely want to paint some of your medallions with a bunch of colors so that would be cool no that would be very cool hopefully we can find a designer that wants to go nuts and a client that has the budget because we started we started messing around with some spray paint 
earlier this year, kind of doing like color splashes on some modern types of medallions. So that's what I was always saying. We made these really crazy looking medallions of all these vibrant colors and sealed them all. We just need to find a client that has a modern kind of, wants that modern decor, crazy decor that stand out wall or ceiling art piece, you know? That's that's always the tough part is taking what we know is possible and then finding the creatives to lift enough to go, oh, that's a thing, right? You have to build that trust. The first time you're like, hey, I'm a painter and I have some really cool things that you're going to want to hear about. They're like, dude, oh. But eventually we end up working for a designer. Then they're like, oh, oh, you do that? Oh, and then you're then they're calling you going, hey, I have this idea. Can we make this happen? Yeah. No, that's the that's the great thing is like, you know, once you build that trust with somebody and you and you do this decorative ceiling, say, right? You do these crazy elaborate decorative ceilings. And once you and you give them that number on that first one and they're like, I, I don't know about that. Like that, you know, that doesn't I don't think so. It's like, all right, well, and then you show them and you give them references, the things you've done in the past. Once you do that one, they're like, Wow, this is like we have a, we work for a couple of designers and and they've used us. We've probably done 10 ceilings over the last three years for that them. And that's kind of like their thing. Like, they want to decorate that fifth wall, right? It kind of separates them from everybody else, you know? Kind of, it, it adds that traditional style, that traditional decor in the home, that focal point that a family can gather under that doesn't exist anywhere else. Yep. You know? It just separates, separates, you know, the really, really amazing creative people from, you know, just the average, average designer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I, I definitely want to see more multicolored medallions. <laughs> Anytime you want to come to the studio, come visit us and start painting away. You know, I, I, we might have to, we might have to take one of your medallions down here and, uh, we can do some, we use the, the metal, we use this liquid metal product where it's a powdered metal that we, we can spray. So you end up with like real copper. So we could do like a copper medallion. Um, it might be something we should talk about because. That's we did a, um, we, for a, one of our client was, you know, in the military forever. Right. And he wanted, it actually was one of Matt's clients also. He wanted, he has this, you know, safe, gun safe in his house. That's like, I don't know, 20 feet by 40 feet, right? It's got everything. If the world's ever going to end, you got to find out where this guy lives and you got to go there, right? And he wanted a 50 cal medallion, okay? So he made a mold of a 50 caliber bullet, right? We cut it in half. We cast it out of plaster. We cast them and then we cut them in half and we fan them out around a basic medallion. <laughs> and then we painted it with a metal kind of paint and we get in a hanging in this guy's house, you know, down in his gun room. Unbelievable. So when, so really, I mean, we really will do anything you need us to do. We'll figure out how to do it. Social media? Say again? Will he let you post the picture on social media? I, I don't know if I posted the picture of the medallion of that medallion on social media. It probably is in our feed somewhere. We're going to, when we get off next later, we'll work on, we need to see more of your stuff. 
I want to see your feed and all that stuff you're doing because it's it's so fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, no, we. I mean, that's the great thing about our industry and our team. Everybody loves what we do, right? They love it. They love, you know. I think they do. They tell me they do anyway, right? They keep coming back every day. Yeah. Right. They love it because it's it's always it's always different. It's always creative. You know, um, one of the when we had somebody in the studio with a little bit of downtime a couple weeks ago. So we started a line of um, mirrors, right? So we use our medallions, and then we cut the centers out and apply a mirror in the center. So it's just another piece that doesn't exist in the industry. It's just a completely different thing that that anybody's ever used before, right? So you take an existing medallion and you just pop a mirror into it. You can they can be painted upon request, any color you want it done, and we just loaded it up into the store. You know, just always looking for a void in the market or a new type of decor or wall panel, um, something to fill it. Just, you know, and I feel like our job is to give people ideas of what to do, right? I want to be like, I want to have our Instagram feed be an inspiration to designers and architects. I want them to look at it and go, oh, shit, I could, well, we got to do this. You know, I have the perfect room. I have the perfect client for this. Let's do this, you know? Let's stand out from everybody else and be really different, you know? And that's the power of, the, of social media. And it's worked for me because when you can show on a daily basis what you're doing and then when you're talking to someone, there's, hey, you go back. I was talking with a guy today. I'm like, yeah, here's a picture of this. And then here's a picture of this. And it's all at your fingertips. And they can go look at it. And it's, it's very powerful to be able to show what we're doing. Because it's, you know, it's unique. Um, yep. And it's, it's a tool for a designer's toolbox. Exactly. You know, same, yeah, same thing like you guys do, right? You guys do, I mean, you paint, but you do different paint than the average painter, right? Like, yeah. same thing, it's night and day, right? Your tan is different than everybody else's tan. Exactly, exactly. And, and when I can, we obsess on perfect and then, we can come down from that a little bit, but we're like, we are spending all of our time going, all right, let's forget about the budget as the most important thing. What aesthetically we make happen? What can durability wise we make happen? And, and that helps separate me from everybody else. Right. Going, how do I do it cheaper? How do I do it cheaper? How do I do it cheaper? Right. What would you say are like the biggest um, obstacles? What are the toughest things you guys struggle with in your business? Um, well, I would say right, I mean, right now today is just the current climate, the current, you know, COVID situation, you know, um, we're, we're at the tail end of projects, right? So we, every project that kind of slowed down or um, just got delayed, that just, it's just a trickle down effect to us, to, you, you know, painters, to the Finnish guys. So trying to battle the ebbs and flows of the construction industry is probably the most challenging thing, right? So like typically December, January, February, uh, last year was different, but typically those years, those months of the year aren't like everybody, you know, December kind of slows down. They're like, all right, holidays are here. Let's kind of, you know, we'll just shut these job sites down or they don't really, nobody's really motivated to pull the trigger on different things. Right. Um, and then same thing with January and February. And then we just go, it, then it's just complete haywire, nuts. From March 
you know, all the way through November. It's just crazy. So just trying to trying to diversify um, and pivot the company to manufacturing medallions, mirrors, busts, stuff like that to fill in those ebbs and flows in the business model. So I would say right now that's the most challenging um, thing for us. Um, and then the other the other challenging part is getting somebody that's willing to sit down who doesn't understand what we do and give us the time to actually teach them what we do and make them understand that I'm not gouging you on price, but the labor that my team puts into it is astronom astronomical compared to all these other people out, yeah. right? It's just, like I keep saying, it's apples to oranges, right? You, if you want to price it to go get wood, don't call me for a price. I cannot compete with that number. Like if it's a budget thing, I can't even come close, right? There's no shot, no shot. That's interesting. And I love the idea of trying to balance the, the ebbs and flows. Like that's why I, we built out the shop the way we did. And we do a lot of stuff in the shop. And it is this, it's been a great way to balance that ebb and flow because that I can bring people back to the shop. I can work on some things in the shop. We could, not being on site all the time and being, you know, we can control our timeline and our environment a lot better. What percentage of your work is through, is direct to client? I would imagine it's probably pretty small. It is very small. It's mostly, you know, we work for primarily the same six, seven builders, right? High-end builders in Boston and around New England, right? Um, very rarely will um, maybe maybe five to ten percent, you know, will work for an actual client. Um, we went. We had we worked for a guy, a gentleman down in Huntsville, Alabama. He built a home down there, and he ordered thirteen medallions for his home. So he. He bought the medallions and he said, well, now I got to find somebody to put these in. He said, well, you come down here and put them in for us. <laughs> I said, sure, I'll give you a number and you can, I gave him a number. He said, all right, I'll see you. When you, when you come, do you come down tomorrow? You come down the next day? So we do work for clients, you know, um, but typically most of the work is through uh, general contractors or will be brought in by an architect or a designer. You know, they'll, they'll handpick us. Yeah, so that was my next question is like, how have you found getting in with designers, architects, and contractors? Like, how was that experience? And do you have any, like, tips for people? Um, no, I, so a lot, of the, a lot of the connections we have now were from, are from the last 17 years. Building relationships with these guys, uh, you know, over my career in the industry. Just them knowing that they can trust us. We'll be there for them. We'll do everything that they need us to do, right? Um, so just networking and building relationships. Like I said, returning phone calls, being reliable, following through on what you say you're going to do. And it sounds like it sounds so stupid, right? But just do what you say you're going to do. That's it. Return a phone call or an email within 24 hours. Even if you call somebody and you say, I got your message. I don't have the answer but I'm working on it and I'll get back to you. Yes. That's what we care about, right? That's it. Great. Just be honest. 
Um, and, and I think I was talking with one of my leads today and, you know, we're working on this really cool project for a very exclusive client with all the security and all this stuff. And, and, but what we're doing is nothing. We're just, we're patching walls and we're painting some walls. Like it's nothing. The, the work itself is not some kind of monumental thing, but the only way we ever get the phone call to do this project is, is from years of do yep. what we said we were going to do time after time after time and years go by and you develop a reputation and these, the ultra high end clients, the awesome clients that are willing to pay a premium for your services, they're, the only way you get there is over a long period of time of consistently showing up and doing quality work day in and day out. And, you know, I think that's an important lesson for people is like, it's, there's no shortcut to this stuff. No, the, the struggle is real. It's not for weak people, right? Like it's a roller coaster, right? Some days you wake up and you're like, this is the greatest freaking thing in the world i'm a king i do my own schedule i do everything on my own it's great and then the next day you say oh shit is home depot hiring for 18 dollars an hour to push oh. those kids that might not be a bad gig right now right totally and there's there there are days where you're like i'm gonna hang it up this is it i'm a failure i suck you know and then tomorrow you're like on top of the world and <clears throat> That is what it is to be in business, I think. And it's great to hear you to reiterate that because I think it, it can be hard when you're in the trenches, especially for people starting out, to see the light at the end of the tunnel and to understand that great clients are not going to call you year one of your business. Like, Correct. you're not going to get great clients right off the bat. They, right. They're already being served by someone who's awesome. But if you stick with it and you do what you said you're going to do and you slowly build that reputation and build the trust, eventually there's, there's something there. I think, I think one of the other things that's really important um, is, so we, you know, we'll bid a project, we have our number, we have our profit built in, we got to, you know, make it happen. But if something doesn't go right, that's not, you know, and if it's, it's not the client's fault. So I would rather lose $10,000 and do it right and then have that client come back to us for the next 20 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't care what it costs. I just want it right at the end of it. That's it. That's really at the end of the day. That's, that's what it's going to come down to is making sure everybody is 100% happy with the end result and they want to use you again. You know, whether it takes two weeks extra, whatever. You know, I just want them happy and I want them to come back and use us again. You know, I think that that's what it takes at the level that we're playing at is I'm here. My team knows it. We are here to do whatever it takes to get the result that everybody wants. And yep. if I have to learn a hard lesson of, you know, an expensive lesson. I will learn it and it will make next time better. And you know, we'll just keep getting a little bit better each time. But if I start to play this tit for tat, oh, no one can get over on me. I have to be even and get at like, that's not a relationship. And that's not how you, I don't think that's how you build a lasting business. 
you know you know and in doing that with our with our clients all of our high-end builders that we work for they know the quality of work we do and what the services we provide right so we rely on them to bring us on these projects right they're our resume so they'll say to the client they'll build us into the budget because we they want to use us right even if their clients like oh like that's kind of high don't you think they're like you know what we don't want any headaches you know we want to use adam and his team because we've worked with them for the last 10 years we love them we we don't want to work with anybody else so that's why you know it goes both ways right so they'll go to battle with their client to use us to get the end result that they're looking for and we make sure that they're 100 percent satisfied your client's happy the contractor's happy everything's perfect you know that's our goal right just customer service is the most important part of our business right it sounds silly but it is it's the most it's the most important part because if nobody wants to work with you you have a shitty attitude they don't want to work with you you don't have a business you don't have customers there's no margin there's no profit you know you might as well go to home depot and push the carriages you know yeah it's not about the the product you're producing that has to be good but yep. it's about that experience and that that was a lesson that took me a long time to learn because i'm a passionate craftsperson first and i i used to really believe that it was all about delivering an amazing paint job and i, I thought that would keep people call, coming back but you know the truth of the matter is that's not what keeps people coming back it's how did i feel what was that experience like and you know when you keep when I when someone calls us and they know it's going to get done right, no matter what. Yep. You know, that's what that's what we hang our hats on today, um, and that that's not an easy thing to do, though. No, no, it's not. It, you know, it's important that your team is on board with that mentality, right? Because if they're not, that's not going to translate well on site. Because I'm at the point where I can't be on site every day like I used to. I'm not there filling in the joints. I'm designing different things, I'm bidding projects, I'm running all over New England, right? So it's so important that you have the right team in place that has the same vision that you have. I mean, you have to beat it into them. Like, this is the most important thing. It's yes. Everything is yes. It starts with yes, right? Can you do this? Yes. Figure it out after, but it's yes, right? You keep your clients happy. Right. Every single time a decision comes up, it's like, no, fix it, do it right. Fix it, do it right. Fi never one time do I go, ah, never mind. Just cut that corner today. Because if you do that, now it's in the back of their heads every time. What, do, what, else, what should I do here? But my team knows, like, Patty went to that job today. I didn't even go to that job. She set up and worked all day, and I don't have to worry about it because she knows what we stand for. And she knows how, what decisions to make because I've been consistent. Yep. Like the conversation goes like this. They'll call and they'll say, you know, this is the problem. And I'll say, what do you think I'm going to say to you? And they know the answer. Don't call. Just make sure it's great. If there's no te nothing technical, you know how to do it. Just make sure it's perfect. Is, is the guy on site happy at the end of the day? That's, that's all that matters, right? I don't care if it's more work for you. You're getting paid by the hour, right? It's good for you, right? Just work the extra hours, right? I on site feel is the client or is the GC is the PM? Are they happy right now? Okay, if they are, we're good. Good. Everybody's happy, right? 
you know it's really the most important part of the business right making sure that everything's done the right way and there's no and there's no issues right you know awesome man so we have three questions that we ask everybody at the end of every zk live one of them is scary the other two are going to be nice and easy so don't worry about them okay so i need a diy tip for someone who's trying to let's say do their own mold plaster moldings so i i want to go make a mold of my face or i don't know my my uh dog's fit that's a bad example a, a sculpture i have or i broke it not I, I don't know i need to make a molding at my house what what is it i need a diy tip on how to do it you call me <laughs> that's it you just call me there's no you know we it, when we hire somebody new right it takes and this is honest this is it takes six to eight months to make that person even viable to be on site doing something that's i invest so much money in a new person right i had one guy work come work he screwed up these molds right he screwed up these molds really bad it was like three thousand four thousand dollars because he didn't do what he was supposed to do and he knew he didn't do what he was supposed to do and he came to me and he said you're gonna fire me now right and i said i can't fire you it just cost me three thousand dollars to teach you something right we can't fire you You just can't do it again you need to learn from everything so when i say it literally takes six to eight months to train somebody to to do what we do it's not rocket science but it's all about timing and um doing things the right way so if somebody called me and said hey i want to do these moldings at my house i'd be more than happy to try to walk them through it but i know what's going to happen in the end is it going to try it it's going to come out like shit, and then they're going to call and then we're going to have to do it it's probably going to cost double right yeah so just call and we'll take care all right that that's that's the first that's the most honest answer i could give you right i love it some some things are not for diy and yeah. i can see there's a reason that you have a dying trade you can't just pick it up tomorrow right? correct you have a high bar high barrier to entry which is beautiful in a business right yep yep thing to have yeah it sure is very low bar <laughs> we got guys that say they're painters that man they'll work for a beer right um how about what is your favorite piece of um paraphernalia plaster paraphernalia whether it be a tool a piece of equipment um something a a piece of a, something that helps you do your job so this is this is a very personal quest question for me right i have this tool that i've had for the last 17 years it's nothing special i wish i had it here i'd show you it's and we it's called it has a bunch of different names by everybody on the team it's called the thin thingamajiggy the doohickey and it's a tool i use to countersink the molding it's nothing special but it's been with us forever and the end of it has broken and it's wrapped with duct tape but i feel like without that countersink tool i'm nobody <laughs> can you do me a favor we got to post that on your story later I'll, I'll find it i'll find it i'll post the picture of it yeah it's, it's horrifying to look at but it does its job but it does its job all right so now i i need you to dig really deep and i need you to get vulnerable here and i need you to tell me the most costly most embarrassing mistake you've ever made in the plaster business I painted the wrong house. We've had people get overspray on hundreds of cars. 
we've had all sorts of horrible stories that some have never been told the public before. So as, as crazy, because you've obviously demonstrated your expertise, we now need to hear that everyone makes mistakes and the most costly, most embarrassing mistake you got for me. I get, I'm trying to think. The only one that comes to mind, and Danny, I don't know if you're watching this, but we had this one very complex capital that was deteriorated off a building, and we didn't even have the capital. And it had this, this volute on the end of it, and it's basically a nautical shell, right? A nautilus shell. And so we had nothing. We had to sculpt it by hand. And Danny had just come on board with us, right? And that was one of the first projects we gave him. And it was very difficult. But instead of, you know, we just let him go with it. And then everybody would take a turn. But we just couldn't get the symmetry to line up from one side to the other side. And it, it took us forever to do it. We, we made no money on the project. Everybody sat there sculpting the goddamn thing forever. Right. This is years and years and years ago. Um, but we finally got it right, and the project turned out great. But, again, we made no money because of the amount of time we spent in the shop trying to sculpt this capital. So, What is a capital? And how do you all these absurd terminologies for all this weird stuff you guys do? Is there a book of weird terms? Uh, yeah, you can look up any. There's, we have you know, a bunch of books with all different terminology. Um, I'll, if I if I can find an extra one, there's there's this great book that we have, and it's actually all cartooned, like car cartoon drawings of different um, enrichments, uh, different types of buildings, different types of architecture on the outside of the buildings. I'll try to get it for you. I'll try to find one on Amazon and get it. For you. Like, you know, I understand what a corbel is, and and I understand what a couple of the little pieces are, but yeah. the t you've said some terms today that I've never even heard before. And I'm sure there are many, many more. Like an enrichment. What is the definition of an enrichment? An enrichment is could be anything, right? Anything in a molding. It could be a, a, a piece of dental. It could be an egg and a dart. Egg and dart. Uh, it could be a lamb tongue. Um, could be just rosettes or brackets. Uh, it's um, it's that's literally what it was uh, sculpted after. It was. It kind of is like a. I guess how to put it in terminology. It looks like a lamb tongue, but it's. It's in a sequential order, so kind of like an egg in a dart. It follows a pattern. All right. I, I'm going to have to look that one up, too. Because I, yeah. I think this whole world of these crazy details and enrichments, and that's so fascinating to someone like me, at least. Um, I, I would love to, when we get into making this blueprint for your social media, I think a weekly post should be the crazy term and a definition of what I, I think I know what egg and dart is. The like, uh, whatever. It's literally, it looks like an egg, and then there's a dart that separates them. Yeah. I don't know, you know, I can take it out back to the to the studio, but. I've seen you guys doing that on your Instagram. Uh, yeah. But do they also do that in wood where they use like a press? I saw somebody making that with like a hot, I saw that the other day. Yep. Yeah, it was like a hot wheel, and they were rolling wood through it, making that shape. Yep. Uh, a lot of it can be done. Um, if you have molds, you can make it out of – you can cast, like, composite into the molds, right, like wood compo. Yep. Um, 
that's carved out of wood. You know, back in the day, they'd carve it. They'd carve it all. It's amazing. Yeah. It blows your mind to think about a guy sitting there with small chisels, no mechanical tools, just carving, right? I was at a mansion in Newport not long ago, and we were looking at some millwork, and the level of detail that was carved into that millwork, I mean, it's like lifetimes worth of work. You just look at it, you're like, I can't believe someone did this by hand. It just makes you feel like you should be doing more, doesn't it? Like, you're like, I, I got to do more, right? Awesome. So, we just, someone, we're all going to follow you, Inspired Ornamental, on Instagram. Just watch your weekly term, and we can learn about crazy decorative uh, enrichments. <laughs> awesome. So we have one more thing before we go. I know we want to talk about um, this restaurant thing. Yeah, so I just want to, I just want to give a plug um, for, um, you know, we work with Koji Management Group in Boston, right? They bring us on to all their restaurants to do, you know, the, the really amazing decor in those restaurants and there those guys are just getting crushed with all of the new guidelines and everything that's been going on they just you know just financially it's just quite a hardship um and they've kept most of their guys trying to go paying out of pocket for them um so one of their trade partners is this girl erica she she has a company called blind fox art so she worked with a liquor distributor to make kind of this raffle this new year's eve raffle package for them so if you buy a, a $50 gift card to either Lolita Cocina Tequila Bar, uh, Yvonne's, or Marielle, those are all restaurants in Boston, in and around Boston, and they're fantastic. If you haven't been there, you got to check them out, right? It's amazing. They're, they're the best in the business. Um, if you buy a $50 gift card to any of those restaurants, you get entered to win this, this chest um, that's loaded with booze. Um, it's loaded. The liquor distributors donated everything. It's 1942 tequila. Um, there's an assortment of wines from Yvonne's. Um, there's just all, all different stuff. And it also comes with a $250, um, dining credit to be used for a New Year's Eve to go package. Um, so again, you can find the link on blind Fox art, um, on Instagram, and you can check out the chest that's there. Uh, Lolita has Lolita uh, Tequila Bars has it posted on their Instagram page too. But a fifty dollar gift card that you're going to use eventually anyway um, gets you entered into this raffle, uh, and those guys could really use the help right now. Yeah, I, I love the idea of supporting the local businesses that are hurting right now. So anyone that is in and around the Boston area, check out mm -hmm. Blind Fox Art on Instagram, um, and yeah, and, and wherever you guys are, let's keep supporting the local restaurants because it i know that we are feeling some effects some people don't want us in their homes those little things and that worries me and i don't like it if the government had told everyone you can't come you can't hire zk painting right now i i would be terrified so you know i feel hey i don't even want to get started down this road wait, wait, let's all i'm going to say is if your job puts food on your table your job is essential. I, I, I that's, it. that's all I'll say. It, it's so scary to, to think about having to shut down and not go to work and what that means. And I haven't had to do it. And I've had little ping pangs of it. And it's terrifying. So for anyone out there that is 
shut down or is it like let's go let's all go buy some food from a local restaurant takeout tonight and and do our our best to support those local businesses because man these are crazy times yeah it's yeah lolita cocina tequila bar uh mariel yvonne's um any of those restaurants 50 dollars gift card to get you entered in this wonderful hey thanks so much for coming on everybody go check out and start they're going to post lots of stuff coming up soon. We're going to be all watching. We're going to learn the weekly term. Um, you guys do amazing work. I'm looking forward to working with you more in the future. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having us on, and thanks for everybody watching. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, guys. Happy New Year.